Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Morning, T North. You can open your Bible to Luke chapter 5. The title of today's message is, They Left Everything and Followed Him. And accurate information helps us to make good decisions. When we have accurate information, we can, we can make wise decisions about uh, different things uh, in our life. If you're buying a car, it's good to have accurate information about the car. If you're thinking about joining a church, it's good to have accurate information about the church. If you're thinking about picking a new job, you want to get accurate information so you can make a good decision. Maybe you're ill and you're thinking about taking a, a certain treatment and you want to make sure you want to look in and make sure that what you're being told is accurate, that it's actually going to help you. See, from from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 4, what Luke has been doing is he has been giving us accurate information about Jesus. We, we said this at the beginning of the series. Luke is a good historian. He put the work in so that he knows, so that, that his friend that he's writing to, Theophilus, can know for sure what he has been told about Jesus. He's been giving us accurate information. He's told us about the unique birth of Jesus. He's told us that Jesus is the Son of God. He's told us how... Jesus defeated Satan where Israel and Adam failed. Jesus did not fail. He defeated Satan in the wilderness. He's told us that Jesus is, is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, that he was promised to come and that he has come and done everything that, is, that, that, he, that it said he, he would do. We've also been told that he is the Messiah, the Savior that we need, our rescuer. And then we are told that Jesus has total authority. Luke is telling us all of these things because he wants us to make a decision. He wants the readers of his gospel to make a decision to follow Jesus. This is what disciples do. Disciples follow Jesus wherever he leads. We follow, we, we, we surrender our lives to him and follow him wherever he leads us. And where Jesus leads us might stretch us. It might take us to a spot where we feel our weakness more than ever. I can, I can tell you as your pastor, following Jesus has taken me into spots where, I, where I, I feel my weakness. Even now in this season, trying to be as one of the pastors leading our church, I feel my weakness. I feel stretched. I didn't think this is exactly where Jesus would lead, but this is where we are. Where Jesus leads might surprise us. Where Jesus leads might might make it that we have to go against the grain of culture. But when we're surrendered to his leadership, when we follow him, we will be blessed. And so the question we want to answer today is, how do we know we are truly following? How do I know that, we're, that I'm truly following Jesus? The passage is going to give us answers to this question. It's gonna, the passage is going to touch on obedience, the importance of that. The passage is going to touch on gospel mission, this, this call to go and make disciples. The passage is going to touch on the unifying power 
of the gospel to bring all types of people together. And so before we look at it, let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your, your word to us. Lord, we thank you that we can open it. We thank you that your, your spirit, the Holy Spirit, is with us and that he helps us to understand your mind and gives us the power, Lord God, to walk in the things that you say in your word. I pray we would not take this moment lightly, Lord. There's so many Christians around the world who they, they, they can't open the Bible up freely and learn from it. And Lord, we can, and we thank you for that grace. We pray that it would always stay that way. We think of our brothers and sisters around the world facing persecution, struggling to, to follow you. We pray you would care for them, help them, help us not to forget them, Lord God, in our prayers and in our thinking. We pray, Lord, now that you would you would empower me, God, to speak your word with clarity, with power. And God, I pray that what I say would bless and would help and would encourage. And I pray, Spirit, that you would convict wherever you want. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is doing his thing again. He is teaching. Chapter, one, verse, uh, chapter 5, sorry, verse 1 says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus is teaching, and he's doing it by the lake of Gennesaret. And the, that, the lake of Gennesaret is just another name for the sea of Galilee. And there's this big crowd there. Remember, we, we, Luke has been telling us that Jesus, his popularity is starting to spread. People are hearing about him. And so this crowd has gathered. And the phrase that Luke uses actually set, means that the crowd was crushing Jesus. They were pressing hard on him. And so he gets into Peter's boat to get some space so that he can teach. And again, Luke doesn't tell us what Jesus taught. And that's because that's not what he wants us to focus on. He wants us to focus on what comes next. Verse 4 says, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. The, Jesus gives a command here. And the first command is singular. He says, put out. And so he's, first he's talking to Peter. But then the second half of the command is, plural. He says, let your nets down. And so Jesus here is speaking to all of the disciples. He's calling for obedience. And this command that he gives, it comes after a long night of fishing. These brothers were out all night toiling. This command also comes at the wrong time. See, in that culture, it, fishing wasn't, the best time to fish wasn't the morning. The best time to fish was at night. It would be easier to catch. The command also is inconvenient. Luke tells us that they were cleaning their nets. The nets were actually being put away. They were getting ready to go home and sort of settle down, put their feet up and rest a little. It's an inconvenient command. The command also comes from a carpenter to a fisherman. And Peter is the expert here, not Jesus. This would be like me telling Jamila Liburd how to bake a cake and how to design it and, you know, and sell it and promote it. It'd be like me saying to Rochelle Watt, here's a way to write a nice spoken word piece. Here's how to do it. It just, it wouldn't be good advice coming from me. So Peter here is probably skeptical 
And he's probably a little bit annoyed. Verse five, he says, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Translation, he's like, yo, Jesus, we, we like you. You know, thanks for healing uh, my mother-in-law and everything like that. But I don't know if you noticed, but this boat, these nets have nothing in them. We toiled all night and took nothing. Peter is skeptical, maybe a little bit annoyed, but he responds the right way. Look at verse five again. It says, I'll read it again. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So how do we know we're following Jesus? We obey his commands. We obey his commands. Peter says, at your word. This is an act of faith. He takes Jesus at his word and he acts on the command that Jesus gives. He obeys. And this is how we're supposed to respond to the word of Jesus. This is how we're supposed to respond to the commands of Jesus with obedience, faith, trusting that good things will come. And we got to know that the commands of Jesus, sometimes they're going to be flat out inconvenient. They're not going to come in a time where it just, it always, it makes sense. Sometimes the commands of Jesus following and obeying the commands makes your life harder. Think about Paul. He follows the command to go and preach the gospel, and he is mocked, he is beaten, he is thrown in jail. His life gets harder. Moses obeys the command of God to go and lead his people out of Israel, and it, it takes him into the, the hardest leadership uh, situation he's ever been in his whole life. He finds out from obeying the command, the stress and the trial and the struggle it is sometimes to try to lead others. Jesus obeys the command of his father to go, to come and rescue. And he comes and it costs him his life. He gave everything, his willing sacrifice. Because Jesus obeyed, it says that he, in Philippians 2.8, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. His willing obedience opened the door of forgiveness and salvation for us. And here's the great thing about salvation. We never have to re-up. We have it in full, all because of Jesus Christ. And now we are to be a people who live a life of gratitude and obedience because the commands in Scripture, they don't just come from anyone. They come from Jesus Christ, who is God. And when we obey, there will always be good results. And I want to say this, all of us, listen to me here, T. North, all of us have specific areas in our life right now where God is calling us to obey, where he's calling us to surrender, and we need to do it. Obedience, like I just said, is an act of surrender. Obedience is a declaration of trust. Obedience is the way into blessing. Obedience is an act of love. Jesus says, if, if, uh, if you love me, you will obey my commands and good things will come. Verse 7 says, they signal to their partners in the boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they were sinking. See the good result there? There was a large catch of 
fish. It's so much fish that they need to call for help. The boat was sinking. See, this miracle, what it does is it, is it shows the omniscience and the omnipotence of Jesus. It shows the power of Jesus Christ over creation. It's another signal that he is God, that he is the son of God. And Peter, he recognizes this. Verse 8 says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished. There's the reaction. Astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And, all, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Peter knows that he is in the presence of God. And in the presence of God, he sees himself clearly. He responds with humility. And it's not the first time we've seen somebody in Scripture respond this way, that when they see God, they see themselves clearly. Isaiah 6, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He, 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 sees, this. he sees God. He says, I saw the Lord. And he said, woe is me. Why? For I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips. He, he, in the presence of God, he sees himself for who he truly is, sinful. And I dwell in the, people of, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King. That's who God is, the King, the Lord of hosts. When we see God for who he truly is, we see ourselves for who we truly are, sinful people who need grace, sinful people who need grace and help. Seeing God clearly makes us humble. When we look at the Lord, when we, compa when we actually compare ourselves to Jesus, not the, the people around us, it makes us humble because we realize our sin and our brokenness. And we should want humility in our life. Charles Octavius Booth, who was a, he's a former slave, and he wrote a book called Plain Theology for Plain People. I'm reading it right now, and it's worth your time. He said this, before the charge, know thyself, ought to come the far greater charge, know thy God. God is found of the lowly, but hides himself from the proud and self-sufficient man. Do you see that? That's why humility is something we should want in our life. Because God hides himself from the proud. Psalm 138 verse 6 says, Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble. God is great, he, but he cares for the humble. But watch this. But he keeps his distance from the proud. He is far from those who think they don't need him. Those who are self-righteous. But when we're humble, he gives grace. James 4 says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The way to have God against you is to be proud, is to resist humility. And we need to be people who are on high alert when it comes to pride. And the things that make us prideful, that can make us prideful, possessions can make us prideful. Power can make us prideful. Our position can make us prideful. The, our performance can make us prideful. We, again, we look at people and we're like, I don't do what they do. I'm, I'm better than them somehow. We got to be on high alert when it comes to pride because it's, 
It's a way to invite the opposition of God into our life. But God gives grace, grace and help to those who are humble. Peter's response speaks to Christians, but it also speaks to the non-Christian. It shows the non-Christian the way into grace and transformation. This is the way in. It's to, it's to fall at the feet of Jesus. It's to embrace what is true about all humanity, that we're all sinful and in need of grace. And when we do this, Jesus doesn't reject us. He welcomes us in. One of the reasons why we fear opening ourselves up to people and fear letting people close to us is because we, 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 we wonder, if people knew all of me, if they knew all my mess, if they knew all my mistakes, would they reject me? Would they, would they still uh, welcome me? Would they still want to be around me if they knew me for who I truly am and, and, the, and the, the things that I've done because of sin in my life? Would they reject me? And, and truthfully, in this culture, we are in a culture now where if, when people find certain things out about one another, they bury, they bury people. But Jesus, he does not do that. And you're like, how do you know? Verse 10 says, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. In Capernaum, where we looked at last week, the people were like, Jesus, please stay. Peter, though, is like, Jesus, go. I want you to go away from me as fast as you can. What Peter, going on here, is he thinks that his sinfulness disqualifies him from the work. But Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. The CSB, I think, translates this better. It says, from now on, you will be catching people. You'll be catching people. See, confessing our sinfulness, Christian and the non-Christian needs to hear this, confessing our sinfulness does not lead to Jesus sending us away. It leads to him welcoming us on the team and into the family. This is one of the first steps to being invited into Jesus's mission in the world. See, Jesus isn't looking for people who think they have it all together. Jesus is looking for that person who knows that they're a mess. He's looking for that person who knows that they need help. He's looking for the person who is humble. That is the kind of people he wants following him. And it's good for us to slow down and just kind of take a deep look at this phrase. He says, from now on, from now on, that he's saying to Peter, your old life, he's saying to the disciples, your old life is over and a new life is about to begin. He says, you will be catching men. The Greek verb here is zogrero. And it means to capture alive or to spare life. My second week in Canada, I'm not sure if I've ever shared this story before, but my second week in Canada, we, me and my mom were on St. Clair. That was where we lived at St. Clair and Glenholm. And I stepped down into the road and my mom had to yank me back because I was about to be hit by a streetcar. I'd never seen one before and didn't know that one was coming down the road. And she pulls me back. What she did to her was she rescued me from danger and harm. And that's what Jesus is telling the disciples that they're about to 
be doing. They're going to be involved in rescuing people from danger. It's a new kind of fishing. By telling people about Jesus Christ, they're rescuing them from danger. See, Jesus is the one who can take us from the deep sea of sin and bring us to the shore of salvation. This is the message we get to bring. This is the message we have to bring. Verse 11 says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. How do we know we're truly following Jesus? We embrace his call. We embrace his call. He gives them a call. He says, from now on, you will be catching. Man, this, this, this is not going to be your main thing anymore. This is going to be your main thing. And they left everything, it says, and followed him. When they got to land, they leave it all. They leave the expectations of their parents. They leave the money behind that they would have gotten from this massive catch of fish. When Luke says that they left everything, what he's trying to say to us here is that their priorities changed. Their priorities changed. And this is what happens to us when we become disciples. Our priorities change. We do everything in our life in light of this call. We keep this in mind. And what we do is we fish wherever God has us, rescuing people from danger. And this catch of fish what it does is it points to the success that the disciples would have as they go forward in dependence and reliance on the Holy Spirit. It needs, it's a spirit-filled work. I want to make that clear. Going, going out on mission isn't something that we try to do in our own strength. We go in the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointed by him. And we actually see Peter have success at this in Acts chapter 2. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Peter has just finished preaching a, an amazing sermon. His first message, it says, and when they heard the people listening, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They're saying, what, what comes next? We've, we've heard the truth about Jesus Christ. We've heard the gospel. What comes next for us? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. What? For the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance comes next. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Peter's like, coming to Jesus is an act of saving yourself from the crooked times that we are living in. So those who received his word, received there, they believed. Those who received his word were baptized, and watch this. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. The, the, the catch of fish points forward to this success that Peter experienced. And like P Peter, we will have success when we drop the net of the gospel. And we have to do it. And as we do it, we need to remember we're going to interact with lots of different people. We're going to interact with different thinkers. We're going to interact with people from different cultures and backgrounds. We're going to interact with people who have rejected the gospel because they've been hurt by the church. We're going to interact with people who know nothing about the Bible. I remember one time sharing the gospel with someone, and, and I, was, I was so surprised at 
this question that the person just looked at me and said, can you explain to me how books can be in a book? And it's just, and he just had no concept. And we're going to interact with people like that who just, they just, they don't know anything about scripture. We're going to interact with people who have serious struggles and questions about Christianity. I share all that with us to say that we've got to be willing to mix it up in our approach and in our evangelism. We need to mix it up while, hear me now, listen to me on this. We need to be willing to mix it up, Tinor, while staying faithful to the gospel message. So we vary the way we go about things, but we never mess up the message. We stay committed to the true biblical gospel message. That is what we put forward to people as we vary the way that we do it. We can mix it up, but we cannot mix up the message. And we're in a culture that is hostile to the gospel. We're in a culture that is hostile to the gospel. Some of you, I know from talking to you, work in places where you can't even mention the gospel, where you can't even bring it up. And what this means is that we actually need to be very wise in how we go about this. We cannot meet hostility with hostility. That's not what... Jesus calls for. In sending us out, he says that we are to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And this is where dependence on the Spirit comes in. Again, we can't try to do things in our own strength. In order to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves, we need the Spirit to guide us. And so we pray and ask him for wisdom and help so that we can be faithful in following Christ on this mission and be wise in how we share. And I want to say one last thing on this. The spread of the gospel is really important, but don't just see the people in your life as conversion projects. Don't just see them as conversion projects. Yes, they're outside of the family, and yes, they need the gospel, but remember that they're real people with real pain, with real struggles, that God has put them in your life to be loved by you, to be respected by you, to be enjoyed by you, and appreciated. So we need to be wise even about that. There's one other word in verse 11 that I don't want you to miss because it's an extremely powerful word. And it's the word, they. It says, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. They went out together. There was a partnership. Embracing the call, going on mission requires teamwork. One of the people that gets praised all the time in scripture is Paul. And, and praised by us, I meant to say, is Paul. And, and that's okay. But sometimes the way we talk about Paul, we make it sound like he did everything all on his own. But that's not the case. Paul, he went out with Barnabas. He was out with Timothy. He was out with Silas. There was, there was a team around him. When you read uh, uh, Romans 16, what you realize there, it, at the end, Paul greets 26 different people who served with him. He greets a large group of people. There's women on the list. There's men on the list. The names on the list are Greek names. They're Roman names. They're Jewish names. And Paul lists of team members, what it does is it shows us the unifying power of the gospel. 
People who never associated with one another are now family. They're now co-workers in the mission. Jesus has turned enemies into friends. And they're working now together. What I bring this up because I want you to realize that this is a strong statement on the sin of racism. It speaks to the evil that slave owners, when they use the Bible as a means to promote slavery and to promote racism, it speaks to how wicked and sinful and wrong and demonic that was. It speaks to the evil of shaming someone, excluding them, and killing them because they're not a part of your ethnic group. And we need to know here, God will punish this sin and those who commit it. He will punish this sin and those who commit it. The blood that has been shed by the sin of racism does not go unnoticed by God, and it should never go unnoticed by us. This list reminds us that missions cannot be done by one person or one nation. It reminds us that nobody is more important than anybody else on the team. There's lots of people who are, they're known, you know, celebrity pastors, whatever you want to call it. And sometimes we think, oh, maybe that person is more important than, da, da, da. they're not, they're not more important than you. We're all needed on the team. We've all been given a gift. We've all been called into the work and we are to use that gift for the advance of the gospel. We are to steward it well. The gospel also breaks down racial and social lines and draws all types of people on the team into the work. This list, what it does is that it makes, I was talking to Shea about this, it makes me think about our church. Our church is a beautiful mix of people. And truthfully, when we set out, when Kim and I set out to plant the church, that is exactly what we wanted. We wanted a beautiful mix of all types of people. And the thing that is on us now is that we need to get close to one another. We need to work hard at community, getting to know one another so that we grow in our sensitivity to one another. It's as we come close to one another, we start to realize that maybe there's some wrong ideas that we have about one another, that there's some wrong ways that we're thinking about one another and people from different cultures. God has not brought us together by accident. He's brought us together to work some of these things out of us and to help us grow together. Diversity on the team. Hear me on this. Diversity on the team helps us have a more faithful, balanced, nuanced witness in the world. I'm going to say that again because it's very important. Diversity on the team helps us to have a more balanced, faithful, nuanced witness in the world. And God wants that. We have made the good decision to follow Christ. And so let's go forward in unity and obedience in the work because this is the most important work in the world. They left everything and followed him. We have left everything. Our priorities has changed. This is the main thing about us now. We have left everything to follow Christ and we need to be doing that, continuing to do that together because it's the most important work in the world. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. And God, that it speaks at all times, in all places, to all situations. I, I believe we have seen that now from opening it up together. I pray, Lord God, that you would bless us as we walk in obedience. Yes, we may be stretched. Yes, it might take us to a place where we're uncomfortable. But we believe, God, that it's only going to help us grow as we surrender ourselves to you continually. Thank you for your son who modeled for us obedience, willingly sacrificing himself so that we could have salvation, so that we can be brought into the most unique family in the world, a family that is diverse, a family that is beautiful, a family that is meant to go forward and bring others into the family as we tell them about Christ. Help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.